With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warmer friendly low. Welcome to Lobby Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great show for you. It's in the second segment. We head out to the great state of Wisconsin. That's where we find Matt Paul. He does pre and post game work for the Milwaukee Brewers, working with 620 WTMJ ESPN, their radio affiliate out there in Milwaukee. Also does some work with Sports Map Radio. So if you sometimes hear this gentleman on your local radio station doing things like updates, that's why you wind up hearing him, and he does an absolutely terrific job with a wide variety of things. We're going to be talking to him about the Milwaukee Brewers. At the time that we were doing the interview with him, it was Brandon Woodruff versus Andy Duffy was supposed to be going today. It is actually going to be Chris with a K, Boobich, so apologies about that, but still, he's going to give some great insight as to Mr. Woodruff. We're going to be taking a look at the NL Central in general, so we're going to be having a great chat there. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a side total on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Tuesday, and a little something you like to call touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast, and you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren's 41. 
Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we did have an interesting day of baseball on Monday. So let's take a look back at it. Tried to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. John Lester's return to Wrigley Field did not go as planned. The Washington Nationals wind up falling to the Chicago Cubs by a count of 7-3. Adbear Alzale winds up giving up a pair of home runs. Three runs given up over the course of five innings, but the Cubs bullpen able to pick it up from there. Four scoreless innings as Andrew Chafin, Ryan Tapera, along Tommy Nance, a little bit of a new guy there, and Rex Brothers, all combined for those scoreless innings, giving up just one in the process. And for the Chicago Cubs, they were able to take Lester deep three times. Wilson Contreras gets his eighth homer on the season. Avi Bias is ninth, and Jason Award is fourth. For Lester, he winds up giving up those three bombs. Five runs given up over the course of five and a third innings. Then from there, you wind up having an unearned run given up by Sam Clay in a third of an inning. You have Paolo Espinel, who winds up giving up a run himself. Tanner Rainey and Kyle Finnegan both gave you two outs of the bullpen. And for the Nationals, their pair of home runs. Kyle Schwarber, the former Cub, winds up getting his sixth of the campaign. And Trey Turner down for what was able to get his tenth. So he's been able to do a relatively solid job for the Nationals. Top batting average for teams on the road so far this season, but they might get overtaken pretty soon by the Chicago White Sox. They just completely mashed the Minnesota Twins by kind of 16-4. to For the White Sox, you wind up having Yervin Mercedes go deep off of Williams Estudio. Yes, that is a possession player. His sixth home run of the season. Daniel Mendick goes deep off of Derek Law for his second home run of the season. And J.A. Appeparay gives up Nick Madrigal's first home run of the season as half was hapless in this one. Giving up that home run, six runs in total over the course of three and two-thirds innings. For Derek Law, he got four outs, but gave up four runs in the process. Sean Anderson, he gives up four runs in two innings. Jorge Alcala gives up a run in an inning, and then a studio winds up giving up that home run to Yardman Mercedes. And for the Minnesota Twins, Josh Donaldson was able to give the team a home run. His fifth of the campaign, he goes deep off of Dallas Keiko, winds up giving up three runs over the course of seven innings, including that bomb. Jose Ruiz winds up giving up a run in the bullpen, and Garrett Crochet was able to get in some work at the White Sox. Goes seven of 13 with Ben in scoring position. And for the White Sox, 25 and 15, they've got the best run differential out there in the big leagues. They had it going into yesterday, and while they were able to really extend it. The New York Metropolitans did not get a lot of offense, but three runs was enough against the Atlanta Braves. Three to one the final. The Braves have been the top over team at home in baseball this year, and they're averaging 1.7 home runs per game when they are at home, and they got another one in this one. Austin Riley gave the team their lone run. His fourth of the season. That winds up coming off of Trevor May late in the game as Taiwan Walker was absolutely terrific for the Mets in his three innings. He winds up leaving due to injury. Three innings pitch. Doesn't give up anything. Sean Reed Foley, three innings of long relief. Punches out five. Does not give up a single hit. Jurisic Familia, he was able to give you an inning. You had May giving up the home run and then Edwin Diaz was able to come in for the save and for the New York Metropolitans. No home runs in this one. They straight 12 men on base but went three of seven with men in scoring position. So they just got a bunch of men on first base and they weren't able to carry them over for Max Freed. A little bit of a tough luck loser here. Gives up one run, punches out eight over the course of six innings. From there, Jacob Webb gives up a run the bullpen. Sean Newcomb does as well as they combine for two innings, and then you were able to get a scoreless inning of the bullpen out of Edgar Santana, but for the Atlanta Braves, just a very interesting team in general. If the bats are working, the arms are not. If the arms are working, the bats are not. 
something that was working out on Monday, as well as if you want to betting the San Francisco Giants. 6-3, they take down the Cincinnati Reds. Reds enter into this game averaging right around 6.9 runs per game at home, but they were unable to get a whole lot generated off of Logan Webb, who was able to give the team six scoreless things. Now, bullpen was a little bit tough. Matt Wisser gives up a pair of solo home runs, and Jarlin Garcia gave up a run out of the bullpen as well, going deep for the Red Legs in this one. Eugenio Suarez gets his eighth home run of the season, and Taylor Nank won his ninth, but for the Giants, they were able to bring in some more trustworthy arms as Caleb Barger was able to get the team out of an inning, and you also had Tyler Rogers being able to give the team the save, and for the San Francisco Giants, they were able to play a little bit of deep fly as well. As Carson Fulmer serves one up to Mauricio Dubon, his second home run of the season, Mike Yastrzemski has had a little bit of a tough go of it so far this year, but he and Wilmer Flores wind up taking Sonny Gray deep for Yastrzemski is sixth, and for Wilmer Flores is third, as Sonny Gray winds up giving up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of five innings, including those two home runs. For Fulmer, just gives up the solo home run over the course of two innings, and then you wind up having a inning from Sionel Perez. He gives up a run in the process, and Michael Felice, newly acquired from the Pittsburgh Pirates, was able to give the team a scoreless inning as well. A team that was able to get a bunch of scoreless innings, the Slam Diego Padres, because they completely shut out the Colorado Rockies, who are now 2-15 on the road. 7-0 the final on the Padres. They've got the best team ERA out there in the big leagues, and you Darvish was able to deliver. 10 punch-outs in 7 innings. Gives up 4 hits, no runs. Noah Krismat was able to give the team 2 scoreless innings from there, and for the San Diego Padres, Manny Machado was able to get his 6th home run of the season as Fernando Tatis Jr. wound up missing this game, but team really did not wind up needing him as 55 shades of John Gray, well, he gives up seven runs, five of which were earned over the course of five and two-thirds innings. From there, you wind up getting Antonio Santos, two innings that he was able to be relatively solid. Lucas Gilbreth was able to come in, and he was able to give the team a scoreless third of an inning, but for the Rockies, the offense just has not been able to get going on the road, and that was the case once again on Monday. The Detroit Tigers were able to get some very good pitching on Monday. Casey Mize, tremendous for them in a 4-1 to win. For Mize, he gives up one solo home run over the course of seven and two-thirds innings as Tom Murphy takes him deep in the eighth inning for his fourth home run of the campaign, but that's pretty much all that he wound up giving up. Gregory Soto from there was able to get the team out of the eighth, and then you have Michael Fulmer, new closer for the Detroit Tigers, coming in for the save, and he's actually been good in the closer's role, and for the Detroit Tigers, they were able to get a trio of home runs. Jonathan Scope, who has been terrible this year, winds up getting his third home run in the campaign. You get not one, but two home runs out of Eric Haas. His first and second of the season. He's listed as a catcher. He played left field in this game. I'm not sure how that winds up working out, but he was solid. And for Yusei Kikuchi, he gives up three runs over the course of six innings. He's always good for giving up right around three to four runs. Nothing more, nothing less. You had JT Chargois give the team two scoreless innings, and Brady Lyle was able to give you a scoreless inning. And by the way, Jared Kelnick, one of four in this game, so he's still trying to find his way at the big league level. A man that has been able to find his way at the big league level, Jordan Lyles. He had a good start against the Texas Rangers as the Rangers as right around like a plus 240, plus 250 underdog, depending on where you look. They were able to get the W over Garrett Cole in the New York Yankees, 5-2 the final. For Cole, he serves up a pair of home runs, gives up five runs over the course of five innings. You got to give it up to Albert Abreu for three scoreless innings out of the bullpen. He actually looked very good, but for the Rangers, the pair of home runs came off the bat of Willie Calhoun and Adolius Garcia. Garcia has been a really nice find for them. His 11th home run of the season, and for Calhoun, his fifth. Jordan Lyles, who entered in this game not faring so well, to say the least, 
One run, gave it up over the course of six innings. Now, he had to evade a lot of danger as he gave up six hits, but he was able to do his job. John King, who has actually been very solid out of the bullpen, was able to give the team four outs. Josh Shorbich winds up giving up a run while being able to record two outs, and Ian Kennedy gets his 11th save of the season. It's very surprising that someone on the Texas Rangers has 11 saves right now, but for the New York Yankees, this is a bunch that they wind up going one of four with men in scoring position. Luke Voigt, who wound up leading the league in home runs last season, spent the beginning part of the year on the injured list. He gets his first. Mad Bomb winds up going to a place that he knows very well, Dodger Stadium, because of all the time that he spent with the San Francisco Giants. Didn't necessarily have the long outing as the Arizona Diamondbacks wind up falling to the Dodgers by a count of 3-1 to one for Mad Bomb. He only gives up two runs over the course of four innings, but he did have four walks in this one. He had to evade a lot of danger, and he did wind up giving up a home run in this one. It was Will Smith getting jiggy with it in the second inning, his fourth of the season, and Albert Pools in his first game with the Dodgers goes 1-4, of four and he gets an RBI, so good to see that for Mr. Pools and then for the Arizona Diamondbacks as well. Caleb Smith, two squirrels settings of the bullpen. You had Taylor Clark give up a run and an inning, and Joe Mentplee winds up going a scoreless inning as well, but for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they sure him eight man on base. Not a lot doing Walker Buehler, who has been a little bit rough so far this year. He's given up quite a few runs at home, including home runs. He gave up zero home runs at home last season, five so far this year, but in this one, seven innings pitch, he gives up one hit. He did walk four, but he was able to be very solid. Victor Gonzalez winds giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning. He's actually got a buck 90 ADRA. I think that a lot of people would be surprised that Kenley Jansen's ERA is currently a buck 53. He gets the final four outs of the game. Dodgers have now won five out of their last six. I believe that they've covered the run line in every one of those as well, so they've been able to find their way after having a little bit of a rough patch in which they went four and 15 over a 19-game span. A little bit of a rough patch has been had all year long by the LA Angels, but they were able to take out their frustrations on Sam Hentages. 7-4 the final for Hentages. He gets five outs and he gives up six runs, all of which were in bullpen. From there, it was really solid for the Indians, as it typically is. You had Nick Sandlin give the team two scoreless settings. Trevor Steven, two and a third scoreless settings. Cal Quantrill gives up a run out of the bullpen, and then Nick Wickren is able to give you a solid inning, but for the Cleveland Indians, they were able to get three home runs. Problem is, they were all solo home runs. Harold Ramirez winds up getting his second home run the season that comes off of Mike Myers. Patrick Sandoval serves one up to Mr. Cesar Hernandez, his fourth, and Framio Reyes hit like a 450-foot shot off of Hunter Circle in his 10th of the season, but for the Indians, 1-7 of seven with Ben in scoring position, and for the Angels, Sandoval winds up giving up two runs over the course of two innings. From there, the bullpen wasn't necessarily too bad. Strickland winds up giving up a solo home run along with Mike Myers. Myers goes one and a third innings, and Hunter Strickland only wound up getting one out, but Tony Watson was able to give you a scoreless inning. CC check, Alex Claudio, they both give you a pair of outs, and Rossi Iglesias lowers his ear to a 480 as he was able to get the save and for Entages, he gave up one home run. Shoei Otani, league leading 13th home run of the season, so he has certainly been able to get the job done. And speaking of being able to get the job done, what we've all seen in Major League Baseball over the last week is the fact that favorites are starting to get the job done as well. We all recall underdogs had a very good start to begin the year, but over the last seven days, favorites 56 and 38, and that puts them for the season at a 55.2% clip. 331 and 269 overall. If you're looking at overs and unders, they are now dead even. 292 and 292. Obviously, a couple pushes on there and all these numbers via covers.com, but we've been certainly seeing some interesting results out there in baseball thus far this season, and it's been very fascinating to gauge a Milwaukee Brewers. So coming up next, we do go out 
to the great state of Wisconsin. That's where we find Matt Paul. He does pre and post game work for the Milwaukee Birds for 620 WTMJ. Guy literally has like 57 jobs in radio and does them all so well. So we're going to be chatting with him about the Brewers, the NL Central, and so much more. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Buddy Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. We always appreciate men that do not sleep, and this man is the textbook example of it. As Matt Pauly does some pre- and post-game hosting for 620 WTMJ, and he also does some great work with ESPN Milwaukee as the pre- and post-game host for the Milwaukee Brewers. On top of that, he does some anchoring with Sports Map Radio. Occasionally, you'll hear his updates over at the Vegas Heads and Information Network. He does play-by-play work for UW-Green Bay, the women's college basketball team, and I'm pretty sure that he's out there selling hot dogs at a hot dog stand somewhere as well because this man just is a sucker for working a whole bunch of hours. I always appreciate it when I'm able to get Matt Polly on the podcast. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at Matt Polly on air. And Polly is spelled P-A-U-L-E-Y. And Matt, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Hey, I'm glad to be here. That's a fantastic intro. I guess the check's in the mail. That's very nice of you to say. Always great to have you aboard. And it's always nice being a native of the state of Wisconsin to see the Brewers be able to get the win. And on Sunday, it was a very hairy one. Freddie Peralta, six scoreless innings in a the Brewers' bullpen winds up giving up nine runs out. Not all of them were earned as there were a couple errors out there in the field. But when you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers moving forward, no doubt the starting pitching is the strength of the team. But how do you personally evaluate them? Because I feel like this is still one of the more strange teams to evaluate. Yeah, they are. Strange is a good word for them because from a hitting standpoint, they're not hitting. They're hitting 214 as a team that's worst in the National League. Even in that Sunday game, Greg, they scored 10 runs. That sounds like a great number, right? 10 runs, fantastic number of runs scored. They go two for 15 with runners in scoring position. On May 1st, they were 17-10. and 10. That was the best record in the National League. Over their next 13 games, they only win three of them. They go 3-10. and 10, And during that period, they hit, like, I think it was 143 with runners in scoring position. The 2-for-15 was not a rare thing on Sunday. We've seen 2-for-15. We've seen 0-for-10. We've seen 1-for-8. Like, that's been the bugaboo for this team. They, for whatever reason, cannot get a hit when they've got runners in scoring position. The starting pitching has been absolutely fantastic. They had a little bit of a letdown Friday and Saturday, but what they were doing from a starting position pitching standpoint. Quite honestly, it wasn't sustainable. So having a couple days where the starting pitching isn't great, you deal with that just based off what they've done all season. But they got to find a way to hit. That's the big thing. And they're without Christian Yelich. They're without Keston Hira. And those are two middle of the order guys that they had high expectations for this year. Yelich could be back as early as the, the Tuesday opener against Kansas City. The team is waiting to see what, the, what it's going to feel like for him waking up and how he does after playing three straight games at AAA Nashville. But overall, this team just is not hitting the way they need to hit. And it was pretty remarkable. Like, that's not even a strong enough word. It was incredible because they've been a struggling unit at the plate all season long. It really was incredible that they were able to have that 17-10 and 10 record with the lack of offense throughout the course of the year. And you mentioned Kessie here as well because you mentioned that currently Christian Yelich is at the AAA site out there in Nashville. Kesson is actually out there with him as well. Any update as to when he might be coming back? Because from what I'm hearing, his is a little bit less injury-based and more just the fact that 
Well, he's hitting a buck 52 this year. Yeah, absolutely. So Yelich was there on a rehab assignment. For Hira, he has options left. He jet through the minor league system, so options are not an issue with Hira. So they sent him there. It was not a rehab assignment. It wasn't anything. It was a demotion to AAA. And before he showed up in Nashville, they gave him a few days off. They gave him close to a week off, actually, just for him to kind of clear his head. He's put up big numbers at Nashville, but he's proved that he can hit at AAA. Like, that's not a surprise that he's done that. He hasn't been able to put it all together at the big league level. When he first got called up a couple years ago and played about a half season, he put up really good numbers. But putting up a half season of offensive numbers is not what you need for a major league baseball player because the league adjusts to you. You adjust to the league. It is a constant battle. Somebody who's playing the big leagues for 12 years is still adjusting on an everyday basis, seemingly, to the way they're being pitched. So I still think it is a question mark. They truly, I can't tell you this enough, they truly believe in Keston Hira as being an impactful middle-of-the-order bat that can carry the team from an offensive standpoint. That is how they view him. They think that he has an all-star caliber bat, that between the power, the average, everything that he does, that's why they put him over at first base. He's not a great first baseman. He is a below average first baseman. He was a below average defensive second baseman as well. What he does in the field really doesn't matter to the Brewers as long as he is doing with the bat what they expect him to do, and he has not yet done that over the course of a 162-game season. Yeah, it certainly has been a rough go of it for Mr. Hira as we do have Matt Pauly joining me on the podcast and Matt the opener against the Kansas City Royals on Tuesday is going to be featuring a very good pitching matchup now Danny Duffy has come back to earth with his last two starts giving up a combined seven runs in those two but still he's got a buck 94 ERA for the campaign he has been lights out 48 punch heads and 41 and two-thirds innings really a shocking turnaround for him and Brian Woodruff he's just a guy that year in year out has gotten better for the Brewers the two and one record doesn't speak to how good he's been. Buck sixty four ERA, sixty one punch outs and forty nine innings, giving up three home runs. As a matter of fact, both of these starting pitchers have given up a combined five home runs over the course of, I believe, ninety approximate innings. I think that this is really going to be one in which you could get a pair of good starts. And it comes down to really everything else in this one, especially for a Royals team that comes into this one, losers of 11 out of their last 13. Brandon Woodruff, he's so good. And the top of this rotation being Woodruff and Burns, they're two very different kind of pitchers in the way that they go out and do things. And not to be cliche, but you know, Burns is kind of the artist and Woodruff is that bulldog, that battler, that guy who's just going to go out and do whatever he needs to do to be successful. He has the right approach about it. He is a relentless worker between starts. He doesn't worry about the things that he can't control. He is supremely focused on the things that he can. It's been flat out fun to watch who he has really turned into because he keeps getting better and better. He's not getting any run support. That's why his win-loss record isn't very good. But when you really look at what he has done this season and you go start by start by start, I believe there's only been one start this year where his ERA has actually gone up. He didn't pitch great in his season opener. He gave up three runs on six hits in four innings. So he walked out of that game with a 6.75 ERA. Since his first start of the year, his ERA has gone 2.45, 2.12, 1.96, 1.55. He then, oh my gosh, gave up two runs in six innings, and that jumped his ERA to 1.80. Against the Dodgers. <laughs> yes, against the Dodgers. And since then, the ERA has gone 173, 164. That's tough to do to drop your ERA in all but one game over a seven-game period, and that's what he's done, and 
He's not doing it with smoke and mirrors. This is a guy who comes at you. He's a smart pitcher. He knows when he needs to go for the strikeout. He knows when he needs to pitch to contact. He's a guy that I wouldn't bet against. Yeah, Brandon Woodruff has been absolutely masterful this year, and he's getting a Royal team at just the right time, as well as we do at Matt Pauly joining me on the podcast. And speaking of just the right time, it is the right time to be diving into the NL Central right now because it is a very fascinating division. You've got every team with at least 17 wins and no team with more than 23 wins going into Monday. St. Louis Cardinals right now leading the division, but they're a team that they wind up falling to the Slam Diego Padres over the weekend. So it's going to be very fascinating to gauge that. And I do think that if there is a team to beat right now in the NL Central, it is the Cardinals. It just feels like they're the most well-rounded team because they do have a solid bullpen. They've got quite a few guys that are able to get on contact-wise, but I think that the Cubs and the Reds are very fascinating teams as well. And the Pirates, they're not going to be able to win the division, but I do think that it's worth noting that this is a team that I feel is better than most of us expected they'd be this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the Pirates are kind of chippy. The way I evaluate the division, I think the Cardinals and the Brewers are the two top teams in the division. I think where I would maybe disagree with you a little bit in terms of who's the more well-rounded team. I actually think the Brewers are a deeper team than the Cardinals, but I think the thing that the Cardinals have, the one-two punch of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, I don't think there is another tandem that creates as much fear in the division as those two guys. And it's really tough to play against the Cardinals because you're always managing against the fact that those guys are going to be coming back up in the next two or three innings. I like the Brewers starting pitching more than the Cardinals. I like the Cardinals middle of the order better than I like the Brewers. I think they both have really good bullpens back into the bullpen. I would probably take the Brewers when you consider what Hader and Williams and Fire Eisen have been able to do this year. But the Cardinals have a perfectly fine bullpen. That's not a shot at the Cardinals. It's just the elite back end talent that the Brewers have. It's fascinating because it does kind of put up star power versus more depth on the roster. When the Brewers have Christian Yelich, and when Christian Yelich is Christian Yelich from two years ago and is in MVP form, they've got a scary guy themselves in the middle of the order, but that's really tough to manage against. Like I said, with Arnado and Goldschmidt right there, I do think the Reds and the Cubs are then a step back of the Brewers and the Cardinals, and what you said about the Pirates is right, and they got above 500 recently, and then they went on a losing streak. They're pesky just watching them play. You don't want to play against the Pirates because they don't give up, and if you let them stay in the game, they're going to come up with that hit late and they're going to win. They're an annoying team that's probably going to lose a lot of games this year, but they're going to lose a lot of games being a team that's not fun to play against. And what I think is really going well for the Pirates as well is that the bullpen has actually been relatively solid for them. Richard Rodriguez, I don't think he's given up a run so far this year. My mistake, he's given up one run so far this year. He's been very good. Kyle Crick is currently on the injured list. He's been lights out for this team. Sam Howard is someone that you're able to rely upon on the bullpen. And then when you've got someone like a JT Brubaker, you've got Tyler Anderson. You've even been able to get a little bit of something out of a couple of these other guys as well. I think that that is what's really going well for the Pittsburgh Pirates because no question, they're one of these teams that they suffer from the syndrome of just not having any power bats. I know that the New York Metropolitans can certainly relate to that, but with the Pirates, their pitching is just keeping them in so many of these games, even though the offense hasn't been able to necessarily come up with a bunch of big hits. Yeah, you mentioned Anderson and Brubaker. I like those guys a lot, especially Brubaker, but Anderson's been solid. Brubaker's ERA is around two and a half. Anderson's around three and a half. I don't like much of the rest they have in the starting rotation, and there's some guys in there that are still kind of trying, whether it's like a Chad Cool, who's been banged up and he's trying to round himself back into form and hasn't gone great for him. Even a Trevor Cahill has kind of been up and down. I know his ERA is sitting around six, but 
with the fact that they've got a couple guys in Anderson and Brubaker, and they've had some losing streaks. They just got done with a losing streak recently. But having those two guys in the rotation, it just does give them the opportunity to limit losing streaks. I agree with you. I think that that's so critical. And a man that is ever on a losing streak because he's always winning. He's always doing a bunch of great work. That'd be you, Matt. Always great to be able to get you aboard. I know that you're doing most of your work with the Brewers pre and post game shows, but on top of that, you do some work over there with Sports Map Radio. I know that occasionally we hear you on the Vegas Sides and Information Network doing some updates over there as well. The list goes on and on. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all doing in general. Yeah, I'm at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And like you said, a lot of Brewers work, uh, WTMJ, WTMJ.com. That's the Brewers flagship station in Milwaukee. I do pop up doing uh, some national hosting on Sports Map Radio. I pop up doing updates all over the country at any given moment. So you might randomly hear me on your radio station talking about your teams. But I do stay busy. Compared to this time last year where we had no clue if and when there was going to be a baseball season, I will take staying busy over what we experienced last year all the time. This has been much, much better. Oh, gosh. At this time last year, I think that the Korean baseball organization was just starting up, and I was watching rom-coms and Desperate Housewives, so... That is not anything that I ever want to go back to. Matt does a great job of being able to stay busy himself. So it is always great to get him on the podcast. Big thanks to Matt for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time to podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the Tuesday MLB betting board as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Matt Pauly. Does terrific job as the pre- and post-game O's for the Milwaukee Brewers over there for their flagship station, 620 WTMJ, out there in Wisconsin, along with many, many other things. He keeps himself very busy. Too bad we were so busy that we recorded this before the fact that there was a Royals pitching change, as it's going to be Chris with a K, Boobich, who's going to be pitching for them instead of Danny Duffy. But still, great breakdown for him. Great to be able to get a little bit of insight on my home state Milwaukee Brewers. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Tuesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41. As per usual, going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is going to start with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then Brewers versus Royals as the lone interleague game slide is going to be coming at the bottom. So we do begin with 901-902 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants hit the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are into Cincinnati, and they are on to Luis Castillo starting for them. Meanwhile, Anthony DiScalfani is going to be on the bump for the Giants. Your total on this game is 8 to 8.5. On the 8, over is just a minus 125, and the under is plus 105. On the 8.5, over and under, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105, if you're looking at the red legs. Anywhere between minus 115 and minus 122 is what you're laying here. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Yantes, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 105 and plus 111. And for DiScalfani, he's been relatively solid so far this year. For Luis Castillo, 
Colosio. Throughout his career, he's been better at home than he has been on the road, but he has been bad at home. He's been bad on the road. I think that he's been bad on Planet Pluto as well. It just has not been a good year for him in general. You, you take a look, a 771 ERA. As well, he's given up 12 walks over the course of 37 and a third innings. Typically, that's actually a little bit higher. Punch outs are down, though. Only 29 strikeouts. This is a guy that, for his career, averages more like 10 strikeouts per nine innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at East Galfani, the former Red himself, has done a great job with command. He is averaging right around 2.1 walks per nine innings. So that is very rock solid for him. And then you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds. This team, no question, has been a vastly different home to road. They are currently leading the league with regards to runs per game, but they're averaging right around 4.2 runs per game, and that's after a series at Coors Field. Meanwhile, 6.9 runs per game going into yesterday's contest at home. As you take a look at it, this is a team that is just doing an absolutely terrific job of being able to get on base. As you've got Jesse Winker at the top along to Cassianos. Both of these guys hitting well above a 300. Taylor Naquin has been able to come on. He's been able to give you right around 8 home runs, hitting about a 260. Now, Eugenio Suarez is not necessarily been too terrific for this team. And Joey Votto is still out of the fold, but Tucker Barnard and the catcher spot in general has been terrific for this team. And then you take a look at the Giants. Buster Posey has just been busting it up. I mean, he is hitting above a 370, and then that's it. You really don't have anyone else. Going into the game yesterday, nobody outside of Buster Posey in the starting lineup was hitting above a 250, but you have been able to get a little bit of something out of the Brandons. Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, whenever they've been out there, they've been able to give you a little bit of something. Mauricio Dubon seems to be picking it up a tad as well, and then Darren Ruff, despite the fact that he's hitting right around at 230, 235, his on-base is nearly a 380, but what is going to be key in this game is the bullpen. The Reds' bullpen has been terrible. Sean Doolittle is doing very little for you. Amir Garrett is someone that is off the injured list. He's been relatively solid, but I expected a little bit more out of Lucas Sims, Sal Romano, whenever he's been out there. It's been a little bit of a hot mess. Meanwhile, Tyler Rogers, Sam Selman, Jake McGee, Camilio Duval has been a little bit shaky, but the rest of these guys have been relatively solid for the Giants, along with Zach Liddell. He recently just came in for the team, and he's been able to do a good job. I do think that this is a spot in which the Reds having a little bit of familiarity with Dee Scalfani, with him pitching for them last year, is going to prove to be very big. I would willing to lay up to a minus 133 here with the Reds. I do think that some positive regression is going to be coming in for Cassio. I think that he's going to get a couple more swings and misses. I did want to sing this little lady as well because I do expect Luis Cassio to be able to do a relatively solid job and I think that the Giants bullpen is going to keep this a little bit lower scoring. So I'm going to be going with this total under and I'm going to be going with the Reds laying the price on the money line. Next two games are going to be having no lines on them because they've got some undecided pitchers. 903-904 on the banking board. The Miami Marlins set the road to face off against the Phil Duffy Phillies. Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler is going to be going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, to be determined is on the boat for the Miami Marlins. It is most likely going to be one of their petted bullpen games. So we've got nothing on this one. But what I do have a lot for you on is the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies are vastly different home to road. At home this year, 13-6 and six and 8-14 and 14 on the road. It has been just very stark to see that. Meanwhile, with the Miami Marlins, they're 8-9 and home and 9-13 and 13 on the road. So you haven't necessarily seen a whole lot of difference there. For the Miami Marlins, the bullpen has been relatively solid. You're probably going to be having all hands on deck in this one. Guys like Adam Simber, John Curtis, Yimi Garcia, Dylan Floro, they're all going to be using this one. Anthony Bender is probably going to be giving you a couple innings. Wouldn't be surprised if you get Jordan Holloway out there as well. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, Zach Wheeler throughout his career has right around a three-ish ERA in Philadelphia. That includes his time with the Metropolitans as well. And he's done a good job of being able to limit hard contact. Right around point eight home runs, give it up for nine innings, 13 walks in 53 and two-thirds innings, 56 punch outs. So he has been terrific with that regard. He's given up two runs or fewer in three out of his last four games. And for the Miami Marlins, quite frankly, 
specifically, this is a bottom five offense that is just not generating a lot in general when it comes to power. You do have someone that I do like in Asus Aguiar, who's been able to do a good job of being able to put bat to ball, 282 batting average, 9 home runs, 32 RBI, and then you've been able to get some power out of Adam Duvall, hitting right around 233, but he's been able to give you eight home runs, but you take a look at the rest of the team, like Izan Diaz, Brett Anderson, Mangolia Sierra, list goes on and on of guys that aren't necessarily coming through from. Now, the good news is, Jazz Chislam is back for this team. You want to spending some time on the injury list, hitting nearly a 376 on base, so that's going to be able to help them out. Garrett Cooper has been a little bit better as well, but then you take a look at the flip side for the Philadelphia Phillies. Bryce Harper has been banged up. He wound up having to be inserted into Sunday's game, and he clearly was not 100%, so if he does wind up playing, you got to expect that he's going to be at a little bit of an ailment. Reese Hoskins, hitting in the neighborhood of a 250. He's been able to give the team eight home runs. He's been able to do a relatively rock-solid job there. And if you take a look at this Philadelphia Phillies team, they're doing an okay job of being able to get home runs. Nick Bainton being able to get a pair of home runs in that series against the Blue Jays is very good for the team. But you take a look at them in general. In 19 games at home, 21 homers. This is going to be a little bit more of a launching pad during the summer times as it keeps warming up. But Alec Baum, Andrew McCutcheon, JT Riumito, all guys hitting below a 225 when they have been at home so far this year. Meanwhile, Bryce Harper, he loves hitting in Philadelphia. He's been doing an absolutely terrific job there. But with the Phillies, bullpen has been vastly different home to road. They've been able to do a solid job at home, but I still don't have a lot of faith in a lot of these guys. Brandon Kitzler, Hector Neris, Matt Moore is out coming out of the bullpen. Sam Coonrod certainly has been a little bit of a roll of the dice there. I'm going to need to see who the Miami Marlins are going to be starting, but I do anticipate this being a little bit of a lower scoring game. I would anticipate taking anything of an 8 or higher under in this spot with the Miami Marlins. They just have not been able to generate a lot of runs. And with the Phillies, probably going to be setting them as a sizable favorite. I just need to know the situation with the Marlins first. So check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's you're going to need to check back in the morning of my Twitter feed at GRS41 for more on this as well. 905-906 says you've got the New York Metropolitans in the road face off against the Atlanta Braves. Was supposed to be Charlie Morton for the Braves. Looks like it is going to be one of their young guys in Tucker Davidson who's going to be getting the start. Meanwhile, the Mets have absolutely no idea of starting for them. So that's just absolutely terrific. As I'm doing this podcast, Mets and Braves wound up just having first pitch. And I can tell you right now, the Mets, second worst team with regards to home runs per game out there in the league. And if you take a look at the lineup yesterday, they had one guy hitting above a 247 heading into the game, and that's Jose Peraza. So, not going well there. You've got a bunch of ailments with this team currently. Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto are dealing with injuries. Now, Pete Alonso, Tom Smith, Kevin Pillar, all in between a 244 and a 247. So, it's not like they're doing a terrible job, but Pete Alonso has been able to get on base. But Francisco Lindor, it has been a terrible year for him. Thomas Nito, he's not doing much at the country spot. They have wound up giving just Shaway Fargus, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, a bit of a shout out there in the outfield. And then for the Atlanta Braves, this has been the top over team out there in the big leagues when they've been at home. So this is going to be fascinating because you've got a Braves team that they lead the league with regards to home runs per game, 1.7 home runs per game when they've been at home. Ronald Acuna Jr. is a big reason why nearly a 400 on base, 12 home runs, 24 RBI, 300 batting average. The reason why the RBI is so low is because he's been hitting a bunch of solo home runs because Marcelo Zuna, Freddie Freeman, a pair of guys hitting a 225 or lower heading into yesterday's game along with Dainsby Swanson. Now they've been able to get William Contreras to be able to do a relatively solid job for this team, and I will say Austin Riley with about a 400 on base along with Guillermo Heredia has been very solid for this team, but for the Braves, this is a team that I do like their bullpen. Will Smith sometimes gets a little bit jiggy with it, but I like him. Tyler Mazek had a little bit of a rough go of it towards the middle of April, but he's been able to find it recently. Luke Jackson, these guys have all been able to do a solid job, but for Davidson, it's really a jury's out situation with him. He wound up pitching one and two-thirds innings last season at the big league level. He's been solid at the minor league level, not necessarily going to blow you away, 
way, though, so I find that to be very fascinating. I'm going to be taking a little bit more of a deep dive on his numbers because just as I came on this podcast, he was announced as a starter, and for the Mets, the bullpen has been relatively solid so far this year, but I don't have a lot of faith in these guys. Edwin Diaz, Jurisic Familia, Spanish for Bone Save, Robbie Gazelman, Tommy Hunter. He's been able to give you a couple innings, but I do anticipate this being a little bit of a higher scoring game. Would not doubt it if I wind up having a total in which I take over at like nine and a half or something like that. I just don't think very highly of a lot of these guys. I probably will be saying the Braves as a bit of a favorite because I have a little bit more faith in their bullpen and their offense in general, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 since there's a lot of unknowns with this one. 907-908 on the betting board. You've got the Chicago Cubs and they're going to be flying most of the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin is going to be going for the Nets. Meanwhile, Zach Davies is going to be on the bump for the Cubs. Currently, we've got no total up on this game because it is a Wrigley Field game. Most books like to wait until the morning of the game in order to post a total, but I can tell you right now, it looks like the wind is going to be blowing out and it's going to be blowing out heavily, so there is that aspect of it as the Nationals find themselves as very slight favorites in the spot, anywhere between a minus 112 and a minus 106. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cubbies, you're going to be finding them as good as a plus 102, as bad as a minus 110 with the total. I'm probably going to be setting this a little bit north of 9 personally. I'm going to need to check a little bit more on the win situation in this one, but I certainly do think that we are going to be able to get some runs in this spot just because I do think that it's going to be whipping out. Initially, I wound up setting this at 9.5, so we're going to perhaps adjust a little bit on the fly if we wind up seeing a change in the forecast, but that's where I'm right now leaning right now. 9.5 or lower going to be taking a look at the over. 10 and over going to be taking a look at the under, but when it comes to Zach Davies, this is someone that has just been issuing too many walks in. It doesn't matter if the wind is blowing or not. That's just something that is staying with them. 21 walks and 22 strikeouts and 35 and a third innings. Hasn't necessarily given up the deep ball, but because of the walks issues, 178 went 560 ERA. Meanwhile, for Patrick Corbin, 619 ERA, but you got to take a look at what he's been able to do recently for this team. He has given up three runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts, so he's been able to rein it in now. Home runs have been a little bit of an issue. Over his last four starts, he has given up six of them, so he certainly is giving up some hard contact, and when it comes to the Cubs, this is a team that they're doing a great job of being able to put back to ball. They've been one of the top teams with regards to being able to hit home runs so far this year. You've got Wilson Contreras, who's been picking it up recently. He, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, along with Jack Peterson, Nico Horner, all guys with at least a 333 on base batting averages with these guys are not either great nor terrible, but they've been able to do a good job of being able to draw some walks, so I do like that. And for the Chicago Cubs, you do like the bullpen of this team. They've been able to get some very solid innings out of places in which you really wouldn't expect. Keegan Thompson has actually been good out of the bullpen. Dan Winkler has an ERA that is a sub-1. Craig Kimbrell has been able to find Ryan Tapera, so I do like what you're able to get out of these guys. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Washington Nationals. Year in and year out, they have been one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues, but Brad And has come and he's been able to hold down the fort. Kyle Finnegan is someone that has been having his ups and downs right around a 5-ish ERA, but Tanner Rainey's able Give you a little bit of something. Wonder, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. Wound up entering into Monday with a 216 ERA. We know that that's going to be rising, but Austin Both has been able to give you a little bit of something as well. And for the Washington Nationals, they entered into Monday with the best home batting average out there in the big leagues. I do like the way that they have been able to get a lot of Trey Turner down for what at the top of the fold, hitting right around a 330. Josh Harrison is hitting nearly a 300. You've been able to get something out of Jan Gomes as well. Juan Soto has a good on base, hasn't necessarily hit for a lot of home runs, hitting a home run about every 29 at bad setting into yesterday, but you know that those power numbers are going to pick up. Kyle Schwarber's been doing a better job of getting out base. Josh Bell continues to be a waste of money, but you do have quite a few guys that I do like in this spot. So with the Washington Nationals, set them as a very slight favor. We currently really don't have run lines on this game because 
we do have a situation which we really don't know the win, but I set the Nationals as of right now as a minus 102 favorite, so I'm looking for a little bit of a plus price here with the Cubs. Right now, I'm leaning towards them because Bet Online does have a plus 102, but I'm going to sort of wait and see what happens as this is a relative pick game. If it winds up being the Washington Nationals more around even money, I'm going to be taking them. If I'm able to get a plus price on the Cubs, that is where I'm going to be leaning, so we're going to be sort of indecisive on this one, unfortunately, but it's one of these, it depends on which way the line winds up moving as I've got this as a relative pick-em game and like I said, 9.5 is where I'm setting this little personally. 909, 9.10 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals is going to be playing us to the Pittsburgh Pirates. JT Brubaker is going to be going for the Pirates. Meanwhile, John Gant is on the bump for the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals are finding themselves anywhere between minus 129 and minus 145. Meanwhile, your plus price here with Pittsburgh is going to be anywhere between plus 119 and plus 127. Your tallest game is 7.5. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between even a minus 110 for Brubaker. He has been able to do a solid job so far this year, but with the Pirates, they're averaging fewer runs per game than the Detroit Tigers. That is not necessarily a place where you want to be. You just don't have guys that are driving in those home runs in general. As they are towards the bottom of the league with that regard, 26 home runs in their first 40 games of the season is not necessarily cutting it. They do have a couple guys that are doing a solid job of being able to get on base. Adam Frazier hitting well above a 300 has been solid for this team. Colin Moran has been a little bit banged up so far this campaign, but he's been able to give you a bit of something whenever he's been out there as well. You've also got a guy in Jacob Sellings with a 370 on base. And Brian Reynolds hitting a 300 with nearly a 400 on base. That is something that you're able to rely upon. But Will Craig, Kevin Newman, Kaye Tom, Eric Gonzalez. You've also got a young outfielder in Troy Strokes Jr. All these guys hitting a 220 or lower. Gregory Polanco continues to be a waste of money. Now, we were talking about this with Matt Pauly. I actually do like the bullpen of this team. You've been able to get some very solid innings out of guys like Sam Howard, Richard Rodriguez, even Jason Shreve. I do recognize that Kyle Crick is on the injured list, but even a guy like a David Bernard able to give you a little bit of something. And then you take a look at the flip side for this Cardinals team. Bullpen has been very good. Alex Reyes is able to give you some solid innings. I do like what you've been able to get in general out of a guy like even a Seth Eldridge, Genesis Cabrera. These guys have been able to come in and hold down the fort. And with John Gant, he's got a terrific 183 ERA despite the 2-3 and three record. Here's a fear with him, though. 27 walks in 34 and a third innings, but the good news is he's only giving up one home run. I think that he's going to do a good job of being able to limit the contact of the Pirates. Last time you wanted facing off against Pittsburgh, and it was in Pittsburgh, wanted giving up one run over the course of five innings. That was a Cardinals 7-3 win. I do think that Brubaker probably is actually going to outpitch Gant in this spot with Brubaker. He has given up six home runs in 38 and a third innings, but he's also got 41 punch outs and only nine walks to be able to follow that up and for the Cardinals. It has been a little bit intermiss for the offense. I, you do have to like you're able to get out of Nolan Arenado hitting a 300 Dylan Carlson, 372 on base, 280 batting average. Paul Goldschmidt has been hitting Red Rod 250 along with Tyler O'Neill. Yadier Molina being back has been able to help this team out, but Harrison Bader, I don't think he's going to be able to keep up that 283, but I just think that this is a spot in which a bullpen is really going to be at the advantage of the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that they're going to be able to find a way in the ends, which is why I'm going to be setting them as a minus 142 favorite. And with this total, I set it at 7.7 because I do think that Brubaker might give up a long ball or two. I think again. Might give up a couple runs as well with all the walks he winds up issuing. So we're going to be taking this total over and I'm going to be laying the money line here with the St. Louis Cardinals. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. This is currently a game that's off the board as it is the Arizona Diamondbacks hitting the road face off against the LA Dodgers. One Julio Arias is going to be going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, it's currently listed as to be determined for the Diamondbacks. Right now, ESPN is showing Merrill Kelly. So I'm going to be handicapping this with my personal numbers as if it's Merrill Kelly. 
With my personal handicap of this game, set the Diamondbacks at plus 2-8, which means I've got the Diamondbacks as a minus 2-8 favorite. With the run line, I'd be willing to lay up to minus 115 here with the Dodgers on a run and half. Set the total at 8.3, so 8 or lower going to be taking a look at the over. 8.5 or higher going to be taking a look at the under, but what I think is key for the Dodgers is just being able to get a little bit of consistency and generalize. This is a team that they've been shockingly banged up all season long. You do have been able to get something out of Max Muncy. He had a terrible start to the year. Now in the neighborhood over 260. He's been able to give this team 8 home runs. That's nice. Justin Turner down for one hitting at 300. He's been able to give this team 7 bombs. Kevin Lux has been hitting a little bit better, but the young guys, like a Sam Noisy and Luke Rayleigh, these guys hitting below the Mendoza line of a 200. You can throw in there Caber Ruiz. They have just not been able to step up the way that you were hoping for. Mookie Betts hitting a 260. You just expect a little bit more out of him. Solid on base, but for the Dodgers as well, this is a bullpen that is a tad bit banged up. Garrett Clevenger is having to pitch big innings for the team. They wound up having a bullpen game on Sunday, so Edwin, you set a problem we could be out of the fold, but Mitch White probably going to be called upon once again for this team. Now, I will say for the Dodgers, Mr. Arias has been able to give you some very solid innings so far this year as he has been able to go really six plus, and I believe all but two of his starts. 326 ERA. He has given up just seven walks of 49 and two thirds innings, 52 punch outs, six home runs. Meanwhile, for Merrill Kelly, 524 ERA. Walks have always been a little bit of a bugaboo for him. He's given up right around 3.3 walks per nine innings, has given up six home runs, and it's really just contact in general. Buck 46 whip. Now, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, the bullpen is either been great nor terrible for the team. Guys like you don't mess with the Yoan Lopez have been able to give you some solid innings. Joaquin Soria, though, he's like 36 years old, more like 36 million years old. He's been able to give you something. Kevin Ginkle is solid as well, and if you need a little bit of long relief, someone like Taylor Clark is able to come in and hold down the fort along with Caleb Smith. So, you've got a little bit of something there with the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've been right around the 10-ish range with regards to runs per game. Had a little bit of a rough go of it in that series against Washington Nationals, but Pavin Smith hitting at 270 is solid. Josh Rojas has really been able to do a solid job ever since he got off to a little bit of a funk to begin the year. He's been able to pick it up. He wound up having a stretch in which he had like four home runs in six days. Now, Carson Kelly being banged up is not necessarily ideal, and Eduardo Escobar needs to do a little bit more than hitting the 215 that he is, but nine home runs is something that is going to be able to help out this team. They do need to be getting something out of more of the younger guys, like Domingo Leyva is someone that the jury is certainly out on. Nick Heath has not been able to give the team a lot of anything, and Tim Castro hitting about 222 is not necessarily ideal, which is why I do set this all at 8.3. I do think that the Diamond backs are going to be able to get a couple runs on ODS, but I think that's going to be a little bit top-heavy. I think that they might wind up leaving some men on base. I do think that the Dodgers should be a favorite on the run line as well. Like I said, looking at anything of a 115 or better with regards to laying run in half with the LA Dodgers. Initial thoughts there. That is, of course, considering it being Merrill Kelly against Julio Urias. 913-914 on the betting board. The Slam Diego Padres are going to be playing us to the Colorado Rockies. Austin Gomber goes for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Blake Snell is on the bump for the Padres. Padres are finding themselves anywhere between minus 190 and minus 196 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Rockies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 166 and plus 178. Total on this game is anywhere between 7 and 7.5 and on the 7. Over is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. The under is anywhere between even and plus 105 on the 7.5. Under is minus 125. Over is plus 105 for Gomber. He has been able to do a good job of being able to limit hard contact. His big bugaboo has just been walks. I just so remember that first start of the year. I think he had like five walks in his first two innings against the LA Dodgers. So that's not necessarily too terrific for the Padres. They've got a home ERA that is like right around a 250. They've been absolutely terrific. But Blake Snell, I feel like is a little bit overrated. He has not pitched more 
more than six full innings since July of 2019 in a start against the Chicago White Sox. 24 walks and 34 innings is far from impressive. He's given up five home runs, 419 ERA. No question Blake Snell has good stuff, but he doesn't necessarily go deep into starts, and he walks a bunch of guys as well. He just tries to be a little bit too perfect. I mean, meanwhile, Austin Gomber, 21 walks and 39 and a third innings. He's actually been a little bit better with that regard for the Colorado Rockies. They've had a hot mess on the road. They've got the worst ERA among any team on the road so far this year. You've got guys like Yuli Chassin who might be coming in for long relief. Tyler Kinley has not been terrific out of the bullpen. You've now got Antonio Santos who's not giving you much of anything, but for the Rockies, I do sense the tide turning a little bit for this offense. It certainly is a situation in which they're not necessarily hitting as well away from Coors as they are at home, but you do have Ryan McMahon who's been able to give the team nine home runs, hitting a 270 going into yesterday's contest over Sorry, hitting in that neighborhood as well. Remy Tapia has been able to do a good job, and they've been all of a sudden able to get Connor Joe going, hitting above a 300, so that's been very good for the team. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Padres. They have been a little bit banged up for Nader Tatis Jr. Has missed quite a few games the past week or so. Jake Cronenworth has been able to do a good job with BRE base, hitting at 288 for the team, but with the Padres as well, they've actually been a little bit better on the road than they have been at home, especially with their offense. Now, obviously, it is a pitcher-friendly ballpark, which is why they've only got 16 home runs over the course of 22 games, but they're hitting as a team 228 at home. Now, 329 on base, so they are finding a way to be able to draw walks. They've been able to do a solid job with that regard. You've got guys like Manny Machado and company that despite the fact that they're not hitting for great average, they are finding a way to be able to get on, but I do question the ability of this team to necessarily be able to come up with a those big hits. I do think that it is very fair to have those question marks as well. Now, with this money line, I would need to be getting more around a plus 185-ish to take a look at the Colorado Rockies. If you're looking at the run line with the Padres, you're finding that right around a plus 110-ish. I was willing to lay a little bit more like a minus 110 personally, so I'm going to be taking a look at the run line with the Padres because with the Rockies, it feels like this is a game which are either going to win outright or they're going to wind up losing by multiple runs because that bullpen is just a hot mess. And I did wind up saying this total 8.2 both of these pitchers do have their walks issues so despite the fact that you're not getting as much hard contact from both of these teams, they are going to be able to get men on. So, I'm going to be taking the over and the Padres run line. 915-916 on the banging board. The Tampa Bay Rays sit throw to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight, is going to be going for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Luis Patino is going to be going for the Rays. Rays are finding themselves in between minus 145 and minus 150 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Orioles, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 135 and plus 140. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere even a minus 110. With Patino, I've actually really liked what I've seen from him. I felt like the Padres maybe punted on him a little bit too early, and he's been able to find a home in Tampa Bay. Now, he's probably not going to be providing tremendous length or anything like that, but in 11 and two-thirds innings, two walks two home runs issued. He's got a buck 54 ERA and a 0.69 whip. So he's been able to do a great job. You take a look at what he's been able to do just throughout his career in general. In 2020, he wanted being a little bit of a reliever for the Padres as well. Had a 5.19 ERA, but he was still able to show that good swing and miss of 21 punch outs in 17 and a third innings. Walks were really his big issue, and he's been able to lessen those. So he's been able to grow through time. Meanwhile, for Matt Harvey... He has only given up three home runs and 11 walks, so he's actually been able to do a tremendous job in his start so far this year. 481 ERA, so he's been able to hold it down with that regard. Now, he's not necessarily providing tremendous length. He's went past five and two-thirds innings just once, but he actually, with regards to earned runs, because there have been quite a few unearned runs that have been surrendered, especially against the Boston Red Sox, but in terms of earned runs, three or fewer in four out of his last five starts, so you've actually got something promising here, and if there is one strength with the Baltimore Orioles, it's that they've got an above-average 
bullpen. Adam Blutko is someone that has been able to hold down the fort in a reliever role when he wound up getting the start a couple days ago. That was not necessarily too terrific, but Tanner Scott, Cole Solzer, these guys are tremendous. Trey Lankins has been able to do a good job of holding down the fort. Sean Armstrong, not necessarily a guy that you ought to be relying upon along Keegan Aiken, but I think that those guys should not be in the fold. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, with regards to strikeouts with their lineup, they are the highest strikeout per nine team in baseball since the beginning of 2020, but you do have a couple guys that are able to get on base, and now you've got G-Man Choi back in the fold after he wanted to begin the year on the injured list. Randy Orozarena hitting about a 260 for this bunch is relatively solid. Joey Wendell and Francisco Mejia hitting between a 280 and a 290. Now Brett Phillips, William Thomas, Brandon Lau, Pretty much the entire catcher spot, though Mike Zanino's hitting some home runs. All these guys are getting a 225 or lower. And then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. Cedric Mullins has been able to do a flat-out tremendous job for this team. He is hitting well above a 300 with an on-base percentage, really a 375. And you take a look at this Orioles team. You've been able to get six home runs out of him. Austin Hayes, the Sayers kid, he's been able to do a good job. He's getting a home run every 20 at-bats. He's able to hit a 250. Mikel Franco has been a little bit rough, though. He, Ryan Mountcastle, Rio Ruiz, DJ Stewart, along with Anthony Santander is currently injured. Pat Phil- Lake, uh, Chancisco. All these guys are in a 220 or lower, so that's been a little bit rough for the Baltimore Orioles, and I do think that the Rays are going to be able to utilize that good bullpen. Hunter Strickland is no longer in the fold for this team, but you do have guys like Andrew Kittrich are able to do a solid job. P. Fairbanks has come back for them, which is why I did set the race as a minus 182 favorite, and if you're taking a look at the run line here with the race, you're finding that right around a plus 105. I was willing to lay a small price here with the race run line, so we're going to reduce the juice, take the race on the run line, set this total at 9 personally, so we're going to be going over along with the Rays run line. Game 917-918 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Boston Red Sox, and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo, a.k.a. Dunedin Blue Jays, as it's going to be Hunjin Ryu is going to be going for the Jays. Meanwhile, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be going for the Red Sox. Your total on this game is anywhere between 9 and 9.5. On the 9, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105. On the 9.5, under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105 if you're looking at the Jays. Anywhere between minus 137 and minus 145. Plus price here with the Red Sox is anywhere between plus 125 and plus 129. Going to be very fascinating to see what happens in this one because obviously the Toronto Blue Jays Still not playing in Toronto. Who knows when they're going to be moving back there. It looks like this is a game that they're going to be continuing to play in Dunedin. I think that this is the last series in general, last homestand that they're going to be playing in Dunedin. And then they wind up shifting back to Buffalo. But this has been very much subject to change. I will say, for the Blue Jays playing in Dunedin, they've actually been 9-5 and five so far this year. So they've been able to do a relatively solid job there. And you've got a Blue Jays team that, with regards to runs per game scored at home, they're second in the league to only the Cincinnati Reds, who have just been mashing in Cincinnati, by the way. But you take a look at this bunch. Boba Shep, Marcus Simeon, a pair of guys hitting between a 269 and a 275. And for Simeon, he's been able to give the team nine home runs so far this year. Boba Shep has been able to give you nine bombs as well. Flagger Jr., 440 on base, 320 batting average, double-digit amount of home runs. He's been solid. Tasker Hernandez, 350 on base, 290 batting average. He's been able to get the job done. Now you've got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up. Danny Jansen, John Davis, Lords Gurriel, Kavan Biggio, Roddy Tellas hitting at 225 or lower. But the Blue Jays have been able to get quite a bit of power in this season, especially at home. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side and what you're going to be able to get out of the Boston Red Sox. They've been able to do a solid job in their own right. Xander Bogarts along with J.D. Martinez. A pair of guys hitting a 330 or greater. When you take a look at the Red
White Sox as well. You've been able to get something out of Rafael Devers. Devers has been able to hit in the neighborhood of a, about a 275. He's got 11 home runs so far this year. Michael Chavis has come back. Has not been walking at all, but hitting a 260 for the team. Hunter Renfro, Bobby Dahlbeck, Marwin Gonzalez are a little bit rough with the batting average, but even someone like Jonathan Aruz, Christian Vasquez, these guys may be able to get on base. And for both of these teams, it's been a little bit surprising with regards to the bullpen and how they've been able to perform. I do think that regression is going to be coming in for both for the Blue Jays. It's more or less due to the injuries. You've currently got Rafael Doris, who's been a little bit banged up along Julia Merriweather, but you also take a look at the Red Sox, Austin Bryce, Darwinson Hernandez, even someone like Hurakazu Saomura. I do feel like these guys have been pitching above their skis a little bit, but when you take a look at Eduardo Rodriguez, he wound up leading the league in walks during the 2019 campaign. He has really been able to rein it in this year after he wound up taking out the entire 2020 season. Seven walks to give it up in 39 innings, 42 punch outs, six home runs, 4-1-5 ERA is neither great nor terrible. And then with Ryu, he has given up five walks and five home runs to 39 and two-thirds innings. He just does not walk guys in general. Ever since he wound up coming off the injured list, he did have a little bit of a rough first start, but seven innings pitch, gave up one run against the Atlanta Braves after that. So he's been able to do a good job, especially in Dunedin, a little bit of a tougher ballpark. Now, when you take a look at this one, I was willing to lay up to a minus 128 here with the Toronto Blue Jays. I have actually been very much impressed by what I've seen out of the Boston Red Sox. And with this total, I think that it's a little bit fascinating just with this ballpark as well. I set it at 9.6. I do think that we're going to get some run scored, so I'm going to be taking the over. And with the Red Sox, need at least a plus 128 to take them. Currently seeing at the Westgate, a plus 129. So, Ryan with the Red Sox and the over in this spot. 919-920 on the bang board. The Chicago White Sox hit the road face off against the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda is going to be hoping to be not Michael Pineda for the Minnesota Twins. Meanwhile, Lance Lynn is on the bump for the Chicago White Sox, and this is a New York Post play of the day, as the total on this game is 8. Overs any work team, minus 110 and minus 120. The unders any work team, even a minus 110. If you're looking at the White Sox, finding them anywhere between minus 104 and minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Twinkies, you're going to be finding them as good as even money. You're going to be finding them really as bad as a minus 108. And when you take a look at this one, I think that you're going to be able to get good performances out of both of these guys. With Lance Lynn, he has given up two runs or fewer in all but one of his starts so far this year. He has been absolutely amazing. Buck 30 ERA. Two home runs given up in 34 and two-thirds innings. Meanwhile, Michael Pineda, he's given up 10 walks in 38 and two-thirds innings. 279 ERA. Now, he has given up eight home runs. That is a little bit tough, but at the same time, he has been able to do a good job of be able to just hold down the fort, not give up walks himself. You take a look at him throughout the year. Three runs or fewer given up in all but one of his starts. So that is something that you're up to rely upon. Now, the Minnesota Twins have had a rough go of it with regards to the bullpen. Alex Colme has been absolutely terrible. Taylor Rogers not as dominant as he's been the last couple years. Caleb Theobar has been failing the team to say the least. But Derek Law has been able to give you a little bit of something. I do think that this is a bullpen that is going to be all figured out. And for the White Sox, they began the year rough out there in the bullpen over the last 30 days. They've been a top 10 bullpen, though. Aaron Bummer has been terrific all year long. Matt Foster and Evan Marshall after bad starts. They've been able to do a good job as well. And when you take a look at the Chicago White Sox, this is a bunch that they've been able to do a good job of being able to get runs on the road, but this is a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. When you take a look at this White Sox team with regards to righties versus lefties as well, it's a tremendous split because when you take a look at them going into the game yesterday against right-handed pitching, hitting right around a 249 with 27 home runs, 
in a little bit over a thousand at bats. Now you take a look at the lefties, they're hitting a home run every about 3.5% of their at bats. It's more like 2.7 against righties, hitting against left-handed pitching 293. I mean, it's been absolutely insane. It's why we mentioned with the White Sox the fact that they're like 24 and 2 in their last 26 against left-handed pitching. Meanwhile, against righties, they've went 36 and 38 since the beginning of the 2020 season heading into yesterday. So that is a big split there. You've got Tim Anderson doing a good job of being able to get on base. Jose Abreu after a rough start to the year. He's hitting about a 255 year. Remember, Mercedes has been able to get on base, and yes, Bonnie Grandal sitting at like a buck fifty with a 380 on base. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And then you take a look at the Minnesota Twins. Byron Buxton is currently out of the fold for this team, no question. That is currently hurting them. You've got a guy in Nelson Cruz who's been able to hit about a 299 home runs. He certainly has been able to hold down the fourth for this team. Kyle Garlick is sitting at 290 as well. You've been able to get something out of Rob Ref Snyder. This has been a little bit of a nice find for them. Miguel Sano, he's able to get on base, but buck 35 batting average. He's been not necessarily getting the job done. Luis Arias, along with Josh Allison, in between a 270 and a 275 is solid, but I do think that we're going to see a very low-scoring game in this one. That is why the New York Post play of the day is going to be the under. I want to sing this solo at 6.9 personally, so I see about a run differential there. And when you take a look at this one, I felt like the Twins should be more like a plus 120-ish underdog. I do think that the White Sox should be able to get it done. I do recognize that they don't necessarily get the same against right-handed pitching against left-handed pitching, but I do like their bullpen a little bit better in the White Sox in general. Best run differential in the big leagues heading into Monday. So we're going to be riding with the White Sox money line and the New York Post late day this total under. 921-922 on the way, but the Walker Texas Rangers are going to be playing us in New York Yankees. Jamison Tyon is going to be going for the Yankees. Meanwhile, Mike Fultonavich is on the bump for the Texas Rangers. So on this game, Zane will be 9-9.5. On the 9.5, under is minus 120. The over is even. On the 9, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Yankees, anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. Plus price here with Texas is anywhere between plus 144 and plus 152. Fultonavich wound up having a really bad spring training. He had a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, but he's actually been able to pick it up a little bit. A former all-star who just has been lost in the wilderness over the last couple years. It's been very fascinating to watch his entire career. He's got for the year a 460 ERA. Home runs have just really been the bugaboo for him. 45 innings. He's given up 11 home runs. That's 2.2 home runs per 9 innings. Now you take a look at what he's done recently. Three runs or fewer given up in four of his last five starts. Has won at least five innings in every one of them. Has won north of five innings in four of them. Now strikeouts are not necessarily there for him. Six punch outs or fewer in every one of them, but he's been able to do a good job of being able to limit the hard contact. He has been doing a solid job of not walking a bunch of guys as well. Nine walks and 34 innings at home so far this year. Meanwhile, you take a look at James Tyon. You just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him night in and night out. Over his last five starts, he has went north of five innings just once, giving up one, four, one, three, and four runs. He has given up a combined five home runs in his last four starts as well. Swing and miss stuff is there with him. 43 punch outs and 33 and a third innings. At. No question, the Yankees bullpen is much better than that of the Texas Rangers, despite having a couple injuries. Guys like Darren O'Day and company. Lucas Utish has been very solid for this team. Wani Peralta, Justin Wilson, and then you've obviously got a role as Chapman out there at the back end. But for the Texas Rangers, they are starting to find some guys. Joey Rodriguez, I'm not going to say that he's great by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been able to give you something. John King entered into Monday with a buck 80 ERA. Hunter Wood is someone that I think might be able to kickstart his career on beginning the year on the injured list. Has been a little bit rough to begin the year, but even a guy like Ian Kennedy is able to give you a tab of something. And then for the Texas Rangers, you've got a lot of guys who are doing a good job of being able to get on base. How about Willie Calhoun along Nick Solak, Nate Lowe along with Charlie Culverson? Only between a 269 and a 279, Isaiah Canera Falefa along with 
Odilius Garcia in between a 285 and a 295 as well. Joey Gallo only about a 225, but he's been able to do a tremendous job of getting on base for the Yankees. Things have rounded into form for them. Aaron Judge entered his into yesterday, hitting about a 312 home runs. Now, nobody else in the lineup for the Yankees that started yesterday, hitting about five home runs, but Luke Voigt wound up leading the league in home runs last season. He has come back for them. DJ LeMay is hitting about a 270. Gio Rochelle has been able to give you a little bit of something. John Carlos Santin is injured, and Labor Torres seems to be still going through the COVID-19 protocol. Now, the bottom of the lineup has been tough. Gary Sanchez, Brick Gardner, along with Clint Frazier, Kyle Agashioka, being below the Mendoza line of 200 along with Mike Ford, but I do think that the Yankees should be able to get a couple runs up on the board against Fulton Davich, who has been giving up some hard contact, but he has been a little bit better recently, which is why when you take a look at this one, I want to say the Yankees' money line at a minus 159. If you're taking a look at the run line in this spot, I was willing to lay a very small price. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 105, and hey, that's where we're finding it right now. I'm seeing a lot of run line prices with the Yankees laying run and half. Between minus 105 and minus 110 was able to spot a minus 105 myself, so that is where we're going to be riding in this spot. And with this total, it is a little bit of a tricky spot because I did wind up saying this total at 9.4. We're seeing a mix of 9 and halfs and 9s. I'm personally going to be taking a 9. Hopefully, I can get it down to minus 110, but if I wind up getting nine, minus 115 juice, I will gladly accept it on the nine. So we're going to be taking the Yankees run line, laying a run and a half, and this total over as well. We move on to 923, 924 on the bank board. The Cleveland Indians set the road face off against the LA Angels. Andrew Heaney is going to be going for the Angels. Zach Lisak is on the bump for the Cleveland Indians. Dallas game is anywhere between eight and eight and a half. On the eight and a half, under is minus 120 on the juicy over is even. If you're looking at the eight, you're finding that over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105 with the Angels. You're finding them between minus 136 and minus 140. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Indians is anywhere between plus 116 and plus 131. And this is another spot, much like yesterday, where I feel like the Angels should be a very slight underdog. I don't understand what the love is on the Angels. They wind up entering into Monday with the second-worst run differential out there in the big leagues. Now, I do understand that Mike Trout has been absolutely tremendous for this team. Right around a 350-ish on base, he has been able to match along Shoei Otani. Otani had its into yesterday with 12 home runs, hitting a nearly a 265. Jared Walsh hitting a 340. And Phil Gosselin actually hitting a 325 is nice. We've got David Fletcher who's been a little bit banged up along with Jose Iglesias being able to get on base for this team. But Juan Lagares, Kurt Suzuki, Tyler Ward, these guys have had to fill in, and they have not necessarily been able to do the world's best job of being able to get on base for this team. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Cleveland Indians. We'd love to be able to dog their offense, and their offense is not tremendous, don't get me wrong, but Jose Ramirez and Fernando Reyes have a combined 20 home runs so far this year. Those two, along with Daryl Ramirez, both hitting in the neighborhood about a 265 and a 250. Josh Chandler is someone that has been solid for the team as well. They're hoping to get a little bit of something out of Rene Rivera, who has been actually relatively solid in a small sample size. Now, you've got Andres Jimenez, Amid Rosario, Yu Chang, Cesar Hernandez, Jordan Luplo hitting a 220 or lower, but even for Luplo, he's been able to give the team a couple home runs, and then you've got an Angels bullpen that is slightly out terrible, and a Cleveland Indians bullpen that is very good. Steve Ciszek has been able to give you a couple okay innings. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been terrible, but you take a look at Aaron Sluggers. He's starting to give up a little bit of something. Hunter Strickland comes over from the Tampa Bay Rays to be able to bolster things, but with the Cleveland Indians, you've got Emmanuel Clays, who has been lights out for this team. James Karinczak, a 0-52 ERA heading into yesterday. Nick Sandlin wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it over the weekend, but he's been really solid for this team. Nick Wickern having a little bit of a tough year as well, but with Zach Plesak as well, I have some faith in him. He has been able to look very solid whenever he's not gone against the Chicago White Sox. Against the White Sox, it has just been a complete and utter disaster as 
in those starts. I believe that he's given up 11 out of his 19 runs. So he's pretty much given up 8 runs over the course of about 42-ish innings against everyone not named the Chicago White Sox. He always does a great job with command, issuing fear of the two walks per 9 innings. I just don't understand why the Angels are a favorite in this spot. So we're going to be taking the plus price here with the Indians. Wind up saying this little at 9 as well. The Angels have the worst team ERA out there in the big league, so we're going to be going over along with the Indians on the money line. 925-926 on the main board. The Houston Astros hit the road to face off against the Oakland A's. John Manea is going to be going for the A's. Meanwhile, Christian Avier is going to be going for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5, the under is between minus 120 and minus 125. Or if it's anywhere between even and plus 105. Seeing a couple straight hits out there as well. On the 8, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the A's, very slight favorites here. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Astros, you're finding them as bad as a minus 110, as good as a plus 103. And in this spot, I'm going to be taking a look at the Oakland A's. I do like what I'm seeing out of Sean Manea so far this year because he does a good job with his command. He just does not wind up putting guys on cheaply. 440 ERA. Nine walks over the course of 43 innings. Has given up six home runs. And for the Oakland A's, a little bit surprising that their ERA as a team is a little bit more than a full point higher than it is on the road. Now with Manea, he wound up getting lit up in his last start. Wound up going two innings against Boston Red Sox. Winds up giving up seven runs. But you take a look at what he's been able to do at home so far this year. Has given up four home runs over the course of 30 innings. But a couple of those were day games. And as we know, Oakland plays vastly different day to night. This is going to be a night game, so you've got the marine layer that's going to be out. And for Christian Avier, he has been getting lit up a little bit after a really good start to the year. Has given up a combined 11 runs over his last three starts. In that span, he has given up four home runs. He's had a combined eight walks, so things seem to be unraveling for him a little bit. And with the Houston Astros, this is a below average bullpen. You've been able to get Brian Abreu to be able to give you some good innings, but it just feels like Ryan Presley and Brooks Rayleigh gets trotted out there every single night. Now, Inoli Paredes coming back is huge for this team. He's going to be able to give this team a little bit of support. And when you take a look at the Astros, you've got a bunch of guys who are doing a great job of being able to get on base for this team. As you've got Michael Brantley, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yoli Gurriel. All guys are in at minimum a 295 for this team. Carlos Correa hitting about a 260, but his power numbers seem to be on the rise. Kyle Tucker's only a 225, but he has been able to give this team nine home runs out. Martin Maldonado, Chaz McCormick, some of these guys have been a little bit rough at the bottom part of the lineup, but by and large, the Astros, one of the better offenses you're going to find out there in the big leagues and for the Oakland A's. This is a bunch of which they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job with regards to batting average, but they've got a lot of guys that they just do a good job with being able to get on base in general. As you've got Chad Pinder along with Jed Lowry, even someone like a Sean Murphy, Mark Hanna, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, all these guys with a 316 on base or greater. Now, Elvis Andrews along Tony Kemp have been a hot mess at the plate. Kemp has been able to pick it up a little bit, but been a little bit tough there. But for Matt Olson, he has been able to do a good job with regards to power numbers. And for the Oakland A's, the bullpen is a little bit banged up because J.B. Wendelkin is currently on the fold. Sergio Romo has been called Sergio instead of Sergio for a reason. But you take a look at Adam Clareric, he's been able to give you some... Just inconsistencies in general. I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Diolias Guerrero has actually been solid out of the bullpen. Jake Diekman is someone that wound up giving it up over the weekend against the Twins. But by and large, he's been able to do his job. And then for the Oakland A's, you've got a team that I feel like is really going to be able to surge here in the back half of the season as they seemingly always do. And they're 13 and 11 at home, which I find to be very fascinating. I think that they're going to be able to pick it up a little bit more with that regard. And I do expect a nice bounce back start here from Sean Manea. So I'm going to be setting the Oakland A's personally as my 
124 favorite, so it's going to be a take there. With this total, I did wind up setting it at 8.3, so I'm seeing the 8 at minus 115 juice, and I'm seeing a couple like straight minus 112 slash minus 113s at offshore books along with online, so I do think that we're going to be able to get a little bit less juice here, so I'm going to be taking this total over to go along with that A's money line. 947, 928 on the bang board. The Seattle Mariners are going to be playing with City Detroit Tigres. Spencer Turnbull is going to be going for the Tigres. Meanwhile, you've got Justin Gitterdun, who's going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Mariners anywhere between minus 118 and minus 120 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Tigres, as bad as a minus 102, as good as a plus 110 is the price here. Tallest game is 8. The overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 110 with the Tigers. Second worst offense out there in the big leagues, but they've been able to get a little bit of something out of Jameer Candelario hitting the neighbor of a 285 for this team. And all of a sudden, you've been able to get a little bit more of something out of Robbie Grossman. Entered into yesterday's contest with a 385 on base, so that has been solved for the team. Now, Miguel Cabrera has been a hot mess for the team. Two home runs at 91 at best. Buck 80-70 RA. Jacoby Jones has not been able to do a lot for the team. Now, Eric Koss, along with the other catcher, Jake Rogers, they've been able to do a solid job. Grace Greiner, whenever he's out there, has been terrible. Johnson Scope, he's not giving you anything whatsoever. Two home runs at 136 at best. My goodness, it has been a waste of money, but you've got to tell your team that they're doing a little bit better job there, and you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. Very top-heavy team. Jared Kelnick had a nice debut, but he has really soured ever since then. This is prior to Monday's game, keep in mind, but Kyle Seager is hitting at 232. Has been able to give the team about a home run every 18 or so at bats, but that's been a little bit tough. Kyle Lewis is starting to pick it up, though. He and J.P. Crawford hitting in that 250 pocket. Then you got guys like Evan White, Jorge Mamaloes, Tom Murphy, and Sam Eggerty hitting a 210 or lower for this team. So, bottom part of the lineup has not been good, but for the Seattle Mariners, they've been one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues. Will Vest has been giving it up a little bit more recently, but Kendall Graveman entered into Monday, I believe, not giving up a single run all season long. JT Chargois. Jury's out on him, but Drew's second rider has been able to give you something. Will Vest, up and down season for him. And for the Tigers, worst bullpen area out there in the big leagues. Kyle Funkhauer, or Brian Garcia, Joey Menez. These guys have been absolutely terrible. OZC Saranoff, let's mention him. And for Spencer Turnbull, it just seems like he never gets any run support. He's given up .7 home runs per nine innings throughout his career. This is a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, especially at night. And I will say, three earned runs or fewer in all but one of his starts so far this year. He did wind up giving up four runs against the Boston Red Sox as well, but two of those were unearned, so you give him the benefit of the doubt there, but I do think that Justin Dunn is going to be able to get her done in this spot, even though he w- does wind up giving up quite a few walks. This is someone that, he's got some relatively good swing and miss stuff. 24 punch outs at 29 innings, 372 ERA. He has given up the 20 walks I mentioned, but he's only given up 3 home runs as well. I think that the Seattle Mariners are going to be backing him up with a much better bullpen, and I just have a tough time trusting in the Detroit Tigers, home or road. I wound up saying this more around a minus 150 with the Mariners, because I do think that Kelnick is going to be able to pick it up, and I did wind up saying this a 8.7 because I do think that the Tigers have the possibility of just completely gas scanning this game. So we're going to be taking the over and the Seattle Mariners in the spot. And we're going to things up with a lone interleague game. 929-930 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be hitting the road to face off against Kansas City Royals. It was looking like Danny Duffy when I was doing my interview with Matt Pauly and said it's Chris with a K. Boobich, one of the more fascinating names of Major League Baseball, going for the Royals. Meanwhile, Brandon Woodruff is on the bump for the Brewers. Only bookmaker currently has a number as I'm recording this as Brewers, minus 155 favorites. Plus price on the Royals is at plus 135. Total is 7. Over is just at minus 120, and the under is even. I wound up saying this total at 7.8, so on minus 110 juice, 7.5 or lower is going to be a take on the over. 8 or higher would be a take on the under, and I'm willing to lay up to a minus 163 with the Brewers. If you're looking at what I'd be taking a look at with 
with the run line. If I'm getting like a plus 125 or greater with the Brewers, I'd be taking a look at laying a run and half with them. We were mentioning it with Matt Polly. I mean, Brandon Woodruff has been absolutely tremendous for this team. And home to road, he has been very consistent. As a matter of fact, he's actually been a tad bit better on the road than he has been at home throughout his career. He's done a good job of being able to limit hard contact. Not enough can be said about him. 49 and a third innings, 12 blocks and 3 home runs issued. Meanwhile, 61 punch outs, 073 whip. And for Bubich, in 12 and a third innings, he's had some straight work. He has given up 7 walks. That's just a product of coming out of the bullpen a little bit more as he's had 4 long relief appearances, 2 of which were 5 plus innings, but he's been able to do a good job, only giving up a grand total of 2 runs. Now, you take a look at what he wound up doing last season. He was able to get a couple starts for the team, wound up being just a disaster with regards to the record at 1 and 6, but a 4.32 ERA. Now, the walks have always been an issue with him. He wound up giving up 22 walks over the course of 50 innings, but he isn't necessarily the worst at giving up hard contact. Does a good job of being able to keep the ball in play. And for the Brewers, let's face it, this is a lineup that is not tremendous to say the least. They were able to get 10 runs against the Atlanta Braves a couple days ago. You might wind up getting Christian Yelich back in this game, and if you do wind up getting back Yelich, it might be in like a pinch hitter roll, something of that nature, Omir Narvaez. So he is going to be out there. He's got a 452 on base, 260 batting average. That is huge for the team. Obviously, Garcia wound up hitting a home run on Sunday against the Atlanta Braves. He's sitting at 260 and Colton Long hitting right around 265. Really fast that everyone else is hitting at 225 or lower for the Brewers, aside from Pablo Reyes, who's been getting a couple straight pinch hitting appearances. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of this team as well. Salvador Perez has been able to do a good job hitting at 282 alongside Andrew Benatendi. Now, Ode Soler is hitting at the Mendoza line. Three home runs at over 100 at-bats. He has just not been good. But now, Carlos Santana is 400 on base. is very good for the team. But Hunter Dozier has been on mess. Nicky Lopez, Answer Alberto. Both of these guys need it a little bit better than a 230. Gerard Dyson has some good wheels, but he's been regressing a little bit. And for the Royals, they began the year very good on the bullpen. Ever since, I would say, the first two weeks of the season, they've been a bottom five bullpen with regards to ERA. Guys like Greg Holland, Wade Davis, they've been blowing some games. Now, Josh Shamount, I think he's going to be able to pick it up at Tyler Zuber. I think he's going to be able to give you something, but keep in mind with the Brewers. Got the best one-two bunch in the 8th and ninth inning and Devin Williams along with Josh Hader as well. JP Fireisen winds up giving up a little bit on Sunday, but I think that he's going to be able to find it as well, which is why I've got the Brewers as a relatively sizable favorite. I anticipate taking them and it over, but we are going to see what is all beheld when we wind up getting true numbers in more places in the morning. And any changes that are made to these plays, once again, will be up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81. That's also where you're able to ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. You're also able to ask a question if you have it. Find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to also send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you into there as well. I know that many of you guys that's the best way to be able to support this podcast. Download and listen every day and give a five-star review if you're able to, and you have done your part. And a man that always does his part whenever he joins this podcast is Matt Polly. So big thanks to him. And if you're looking to su- subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. Give you guys a signed total on every game every day. So I'll be back at it once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.